You're listening to Soundbite, a podcast that's food for your ears. I'm Celine Roberts. This week, we head out into the wild blue yonder with wild forager Tom Patterson to hunt the tastiest of spring treasures, ramps and morel mushrooms. Both are highly sought after by hobby hunters and professional chefs alike, and Patterson relies on extensive knowledge and a keen eye to help stock their kitchens with the best Western PA has to offer. Come on a walk with us. Hi, my name's Tom Patterson. Everyone knows me of Wild Purveyors. And um, we're out here today harvesting wild foods for um, the restaurant industry. What is a ramp? Ramp is a wild leek. Um, scientific name is Allium trichocum, A-L-L-I-U-M-T-R-I-C-C-O-C-U-M. Um, this uh, ramps can be, um, there's two varieties. Uh, one is um, most people are familiar with the uh, red necked ramp. Um, it's got red veins and on the leaves. Um, both have really bright green leaves, longer leaves. Um, but this is actually the white ramp. Um, it's variety Burdickii. Um, it uh, has purely white bulb white vein leaves, um, and it's actually a little less common, less frequent in the wild than the red version. <clears throat> Do you like... understand why people go so crazy for them? Or is that, does that seem strange to you? No, I, I mean, in a culinary sense, uh, it really does have that like extra unique flavor. Um, and like chefs really distinguish it uh, being unique to other alliums or you know other onion garlic type plants, leeks. Um, it's actually not, in a culinary sense, it's not really that similar to like a cultivated leek. Um, it's more pungent. Um, the bulb is more compact. Um, and there's only two to three actual leaves. Um, so there's not as much green leaf matter compared to like a cultivated leek. Yeah, because right now it is all ramp everything. Yeah. You see like, um, these are basically full grown to the extent that um, they won't grow anymore. And the ramps, um, they're like a true spring ephemeral. So they only last um, a bit more than a month. Really, the green leaves emerge um, in early April, and then um, it's ready to go to flower uh, by mid-May. And by early May at latest here in Pennsylvania, um, uh, before it goes to flower, the entire plant uh, yellows out, and then the flower spike emerges. But at that point, when the plants are completely yellow, um, they're a lot less marketable, and only the bulb remains underneath. Yeah, this is all blue goat cohosh. Um, it can be used, uh, herbalists use it as a medicine think more in women's medicine for the blue cohosh. There is black cohosh here too. 
Would this be a typical plant landscape for where ramps would grow? Yes, it would. It's it's like an ideal mix of forests and trees. Um, there's black cherry, elm, um, kind of odd uh, abundance of elm here for the area. Um, and then there's poplar and maple, all of that kind of mixture of trees uh, ramps really prefer. Taller native plants, it's uh, mostly blue cohosh is a native plant. Um, there's uh, trout lilies, um, trillium, a lot of white trillium, um, and there's even wild geranium, things like that, uh, cutleaf toothwort, several dozen like spring ephemerals, like, like a dense native mix of like several, uh, probably three different dozen, I think, native species like all together here. Like a couple of plants dominate like the cohosh and the ramps. <laughs> Is there a preferable way to pick these? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of like a conventional way to harvest the whole plant. That's what most harvesters do across North America. So, so both the bulb and the leaves are usable. So you can take the whole plant. Yeah. That's what most chefs are acquainted with the whole plant. They like to see like nice perky green leaves and then like a nice thick bulb. When you harvest a whole plant, usually there's roots attached, depending on how you extract it from the ground. Typically people use shovels or like a little uh, garden rake, garden spike. Um, it's a decent way to pop them up. The roots are really tenaciously, strongly attached to the soil. So it takes some effort to get them up and out, up and out. The larger, more mature bulbs, they tend to kind of, when they're ready to go at the very end of the season, and the bulbs are the biggest at that point, they kind of heave themselves up and out a little bit. And there is a certain point there at peak maturity where it's pretty easy to hand harvest them. The idea is to, if you were to be more sustainable about it, would be to actually leave the roots in the ground. That's pretty difficult with when you're digging and harvesting the whole plant to actually leave the roots in the ground. There's a little nodule upon which the roots um, emerge and extend into the soil, and that nodule is connected to the bottom of the bulb. If that whole nodule with the roots remains, it can reemerge into a new plant. So instead of extracting the whole plant from the ground, you may, if you have a good technique about it, be able to leave the roots in there so that you're not eliminating the plant and the plant will reemerge after that. That's a pretty major challenge. Some people, when harvesting whole plants, will slice that nodule with the roots, they'll slice that off of the whole plant and leave the bulb and leaves intact, and that can be sold easily. And then what they'll do is they'll take those roots with the nodule and replant them themselves. That's like a whole extra process. So plenty of people do try to do that. And, remain sustainable about it but a lot of the market like there's a lot of ramps sold out there so there's big groups of people different parts of Appalachia where the ramp is native are harvesting large numbers and like aggressive efforts um, sort of clearing out areas if you will so um, there's definitely plenty of say is probably not sustainable harvesting of ramps going on out there Though what we're doing this year, there's more of a push among like sustainable gardeners, green-minded folks to only harvest the leaves. And um, my market is demanding 
just leaves to be harvested. By clipping the leaves off above the bulb, um, you get much of the what's desired by chefs out of it. You get much of the flavor out of the leaves, but you're not eliminating the plant, and the plants uh, can easily reemerge next year and grow to maturity with a flower. What is sustainable with ramps? Um, everybody's still investigating, really. I still believe that in a place like this, where we are, where the ramps are literally carpeting hundreds of acres, um, a small team of people would only be eliminating a fraction of a percent on a yearly basis. Um, and you're leaving plenty of flowers to go to seed and regenerate in the new, new plants. I feel um, like every time we're together, we're standing on some hillside, absolutely covered <laughs> in what we're looking for already. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish more mushrooms were like that. The special thing about this place, you were telling me, much to my delight, is that there are also morels. Right, right, right. Um, and oftentimes in like a nice healthy ramp patch, there are certain trees which lend to morels. They host morels, like we're standing around some elm and poplar. Uh, there's ash trees out here where morels may occur. But with this mix of trees here, sometimes you can find morels if you get lucky. Already gotten a little bit lucky. Yeah, yeah, so far. They're beautiful. Yeah, we're right on time for like peak season. It's always like sort of like a frustration because, like, you know, there's places where they're like growing all over. You can see that little mini one right there. Okay, huh? I was about to just leave them. Yeah, right. Um, huh. I'm just thinking that those are like those diminutives. Um, it's like a different species, they only like get so big. Are they still edible? Yeah. They are true morels, but they're like smaller. Um, and there's them. that one too. Um, that one's a, uh, Yeah, just pick them. I think they're this, like with poplar here, they, um, there's other species grow the, the true American morel, Marcella americana. Um, that typically comes around elm, but it can be occasionally around ash or, and poplar. Poplar will host like maybe several, three, four, or five different species of morels, but usually in a lot less numbers than you'd find around uh, elm trees. Can you describe to me what you're seeing when you're looking at them? There's probably people that have only seen them on their plates. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, they're actually completely hollow. They don't look like a typical mushroom with like a cap and gills or pores, but what they have is actually sort of like a conical, can look like a witch's hat sometimes, but it's really pitted um, on the outside. And then the interior is completely hollow all the way through the stem and the cap. Um, that's what kind of defines a true morel versus false morel. Uh, false morels won't be entirely hollow. They'll have multiple compartments if you cut it through the middle. So, um, How close to death will you come if you eat a false morel? A false morel, <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's, compared to other toxic mushrooms, it's like a class of toxicity that's not as intense as like deadly mushrooms, obviously. Um, it would be like a serious exception if someone actually died from eating false morels. Um, though there's always like uh, different portions of the population are susceptible to this or that, biological kind of thing, but... 
there is maybe a risk in a small portion of the population uh, with combining alcohol with uh, morels. So oftentimes I suspect toxicity occurs because of like just being undercooked. As long as you thoroughly cook all your morels and you should never eat a fresh morel because the same toxicity, similar toxicity is in a false morel is in a true morel. That's why you need to cook the morels in order to reduce that toxicity and make it uh, consumable. Can you tell me about flavor before we keep walking up the hill here? Oh yeah, flavor. Morels are like, have a really unique flavor. It's like really earthy, buttery. It's got this like uh, shroomy musk to it that's like really unique and like you can't get that from any other mushroom. And that's what also just makes it so desirable for chefs. But yeah, I, I love the flavor. I just do it in like a cream and butter sauce and I'm Call having, <laughs> yeah. There are two right here actually. Yeah, okay. I didn't see the other one. See like a little bigger than one? A little bit. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. There's two tiny ones. Two tiny ones. Take more. Yeah. So um, for market price with what you're selling for both ramps and morels, what, what are you seeing for oh, your right. neighbors? Um, I guess like it kind of the price fluctuates in different like metropolitan areas. Pittsburgh, pretty modest pricing for ramps. Um, you can buy individual pounds to chefs for twelve to fifteen dollars. Um, they're I think they're going to New York City for about fourteen dollars a pound to chefs. But then, like I said, we're also clipping leaves, and that's sort of like a new market initiative, and it's being marketed as a sustainable harvest. The prices set right now, most leaf pricing is set right now are uh, similar to like the whole plant price. I think it's a good thing. It's, it doesn't throw off the market when you have like everything priced the same. So, um, and a little more work goes into it to accumulate the weight for leaves. But I think it's a good thing for pickers because if, if you have the option just to pick leaves and it's the same price or better at the rate of picking um, then you have more incentive just to pick on leaves and not not take whole plants um, from the forest and like I said these are native plants um, so with any native plant it's uh, certainly an ethical practice to um, you're harvesting any native plants to uh, do it sensitively and only take so many numbers. Simply take what you need to fit the native plant. Yeah, cool. Like where? Yeah. Um, my best guess is like this elm because like when it was alive, it was like really supporting like a broad area uh, um, where the morels would come up. And it seems like. You know, the more, the larger the tree was in its life, um, like with mycorrhizal mushrooms, we're typically looking for uh, healthy trees, like, and the bigger, the more mature, if it's oak, if it's producing uh, seed or acorn, um, it's more likely to have, like, more mushroom production. That's kind of what I noticed. The fact that you like remember specific trees over seasons is really mind-boggling for me. Right. How do you map this in your head? 
Um, do you draw physical maps or do you just go back to the same places and just try to keep it stuck in there? Yeah, I mean, it definitely takes multiple visits to the same place and then like repetition, like year after year on the same tree. So like morels, they're a little known as wanderers. Like they can kind of move out from their original location where you found them. But chanterelles are really consistent. They're like right at the same tree. Yeah, like it's just kind of remembering where you got so excited last year. <laughs> and that's a little easier than just, I mean, the, the woods can be like, I understand it like pretty monotonous. Even when I was a kid, the woods were like monotonous to me. They were just like the woods. You yeah. Know? <laughs> it all so, at a certain point looks the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you discover cool stuff, it gets a lot easier to remember where exactly you were at last time. So and you would you say do, it's like, fueled by emotional memory? Yeah, I mean, you, you do. Like, even when I'm driving, I'm like looking at trees and like taking my best guess of what species like and judging the stand like how much of what species is there with what other species i have my own ideas in my head what sort of mix is good for like what mushroom you know gotta go for like big oak trees when i want to find chanterelles and stuff particular trees that like have mushrooms they do sort of make an identity in your head you remember like the form of the tree what sort of health it was in if it was standing last year oh wow that tree fell but when a tree falls you might not get mushrooms anymore so yeah i don't know it's a drawn out process year by year like it goes a lot slower than regular human life to kind of keep track of things <laughs> so what you're saying is you're never not working constantly paying attention uh, yeah yeah i'd like to think of it like that yeah <laughs> For more Soundbite, visit our archives at www.pghcitypaper.com or subscribe to City Paper Podcasts on iTunes. Come along with me as I trek through the city to talk about everything from swapping seeds to growing tasty molds. Until next time, cook merrily and eat heartily. <laughs>